Welcome to the Trailbreaker Podcast. Hi, I'm Aaron Feinberg. In this podcast, I explore what it takes to be a trailbreaker through intimate conversations with people carving new paths across the landscapes of business, art, and sport, we dig in on how to excel across seemingly disparate endeavors. What drives people who manage to succeed multidimensionally? Is it how they think? Is it meticulous planning and follow-through? Or is it some measure of delusional optimism? My guest today is Max Hammer, a professional free skier, filmmaker, and founder of Ski More Good. He's also a husband, father of two, and host home provider for his brother-in-law with Down syndrome. We talked about keeping life simple, telling stories, and balancing taking charge with following someone else's lead. Good afternoon, Max. How are you today? I'm good. Um, Pretty good. Uh, Actually, just saw my parents who were going through some medical stuff. So um, in general, I'm good, but uh, I'm also going through life stuff too, which probably everyone is. Well, I hope they're doing all right. And I'm glad you still had some time to join us on the show today. Yeah. If anything, it's nice to, uh, to focus on something. Um, and, uh, you know, it's hard to focus on one thing at any given time, or it's like the right time to focus on the right thing. So yeah, I'm, I'm very pleased to be here and, uh, I'm interested to see where we end up. Sounds good. So let's dive in then. So COVID's obviously been in our lives for almost a year now and adding all sorts of complexity to all our lives and surprises, et cetera. What would you say that you have been up to in these last 11 or 12 months that's, that's kept you grounded, kept you sane? Um, in terms of grounding, there's, uh, no better way to do it than to just go ahead and have a kid, which we did. (laughs) So, um, yeah, we have, we have my wife and I, Amy, we have two kids now. One was born in August. So really right in the middle of COVID. And then our other, um, child turned two right when COVID, uh, started. So, um, having two young children, is all the grounding you need because they don't know what COVID is and you still got to teach them the world. And, um, and it's not really even explainable. So like we just stick with the things that are in front of us and uh, explain them the way they are. And, and that's kind of it. Our life is actually kind of similar to what it always was. And, and, and that's really lucky. Um, our world is kind of small. Like we shop at a small co-op. We, uh, and when I say we, I mean, Amy, like we, we grow a lot of food. Um, and, uh, her family's here. Um, so in a way we're, we're kind of doing really similarly to what we did before, but, um, there's a lot less extra stuff that we used to do like willy nilly, like go to the museum or things like that. So, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're doing good. That makes a lot of sense. And it is, uh, it's a bit of a blessing for all of us who have young children, the ability to, the forced ability to be home a little bit more and to, and to have that quality time is, is pretty awesome, especially with little ones who, who need a lot of your focus and a lot of your time. So, uh, at least you, you have had one extra in the mix to, to bring a little more joy. Yeah, That's of course. Fun. Yeah. And the joys there, I think probably what gets hard is a lot of people know is like, I would rather be focused on them, but, but then something will come up that I want to work on, um, or that I need to work on for my job. Um, and then it gets a little bit tougher if you're like pulled between two different poles and one of them is your kid and it's right in front of you. And and the other one is potentially a little bit more abstract, but also important because it supports the kid. <laughs> I've always known you as a, as a pro skier, but you have your hands in all sorts of pots. What, what pots are those that someone who doesn't know you as well might be surprised to hear about? Sure. So I, I would almost put it in it's either in thirds or, or quarters. Um, but, um, 
the things that you would, might know about are, yeah, I'm a professional skier. That comes out in a variety of ways. One is as a sponsored skier um, and someone who represents brands and, and products and um, sort of showcases a skiing ability. Um, then I, I've also worked as a, a coach and a ski guide too. So that's another sense of professional skier. Um, and I probably prefer that one because it means you get to really interact with people and I like teaching. Um, and, uh, so that's like the ski side. I also have my own business that I run with a, a business partner and that's a filmmaking business. Um, so that's kind of related to the skiing. I mean, we will make films about skiing. Um, but it's also, I guess in general, just like a storytelling business. And, uh, I have, I I've been into that for a long time. Um, in high school. And then I went to college for uh, animation, actually. Um, so the idea of like telling stories through movies, uh, video, whatever you want to call it, film, uh, that's another part. And then um, I also, another third is uh, we're contracted by the state of Nevada to take care of my brother-in-law. Uh, he lives with us. We're host home providers for him. Um, he's got Down syndrome and needs a little extra help. And uh, so where that help and independence for him in a way. Um, he actually just left the room. I think he probably wanted to be here. <laughs> um, he, he really likes the computer. Um, so, and that, that's another part. And then um, I would say that, you know, sometimes those ebb and flow, like in the winter, the skiing is like kind of my priority, but then when winter's gone, like skiing and basically is too. So some other things pick up um, and, uh, and then I'm kind of always on the lookout for new stuff too. Um, any potential fun business or just life stuff that I can get my hands into. Does the potential new project or, you know, interest or passion, does it have to fall within a, like a set of parameters? And what I mean by that is, you know, some folks choose to work in particular industries or, only under a set of particular values, are you pretty much game for, for whatever? I'll put it this way. I'm very open, but it'll still fall within parameters. And so I think that openness allows for things that you might not expect to, to, to come up that you can entertain, but I think it's still got to fall within the parameters. So like, if it's going to take my time away from my family, then I want to make sure that it's giving me something that I, that I really value. So maybe that's time with other people. Um, like an example would be if there was an opportunity to like teach skiing, um, say that's guided or, or even coaching kids programs, which I've done a lot of, um, you know, that takes my time away, but I really love teaching. So I would put it on the flip side, like maybe, maybe an opportunity would could, come up to not necessarily teach skiing in a traditional form, but if it came up where teaching is, is involved in some way, then it might be something that I'm into. Uh, so I would say it's both open and has to fall within parameters. Um, and, and I think, and, and my family and I, my wife and I talk about those parameters a lot. Like what are the things we like and need? Like how much socialization do we really want in our lives um and let's make sure we're getting that um and and kind of like following this balance um and setting the balance um setting the parameters so that you can kind of like keep it all in check um and then you know part of my happiness is her happiness too so if i'm just off skiing all the time which i used to do um that m would have made my happiness really high, but since her happiness is attached to that and my being around and supporting and, um, all that is like totally intertwined that, uh, it's actually just not, I actually wouldn't be happy skiing all the time because I would just know that, that she was in a different place. So, um, the parameters are there and, um, they're always changing, but they're, they're not going like too crazy. <laughs> yeah. The world our, our worlds are designed to be redefined and, and, you know, complicated and, you know, what worked for us, you know, even just a few years ago, just sometimes gets replaced with, with a whole new level uh, of things that, that maybe we couldn't even conceptualize as, as important to us back then. But you talked a little bit about 
you know, some of the values that you pull through, you call them parameters, but, you, you know, you, you talked about teaching, you talked about family, uh, you know, what else would you say drives you, you know, or that you are the filters in which you and or Amy kind of define how your life is going to be on your terms? Okay. Um, I, I guess I'm not sure how, if these would be considered values, but I think a lot about, um, what makes you feel good as a human. Um, and some of these things I've learned, some of these things you just, they happen because they feel good. And I think we seek out things that feel good. So at its very most elemental stage, I think you're talking about, um, are you nourished with food and water? Uh, is the air you're breathing good? Um, let's see, food, water, uh, the other one's shelter. Like, do you have a place where you can stay out of the rain, keep warm? Um, and then there's a fourth one that I really like too, that's space. Um, and that is like, do I have space to kind of go out and be wild, but do I also have space to come in and like be comfortable and closed in? Um, I think all those things are, are really important. So, uh, that's what I would say they're, they're based on, um, in terms of values uh, and anything that provides those provides value. So, um, like my, my wife is really into food, which is awesome. Um, and so I've gotten more aware of, of how that food affects me, what we're eating or also what we're growing. Um, and it's, it's interesting example, because if you're growing your food, you're also, uh, you're also giving yourself a space, right? You dedicate a certain space to it. Um, whether that's a garden bed or we have chickens, um, or her family has a cattle ranch, um, things like that. So you, you sort of see how this space outside of you really affects what comes into you. And then also, you know, your kitchen, like I, I kind of knew how to cook tacos, <laughs> like one variety. She thinks about cooking the way I think about skiing. I mean, she's like a complete master. Um, and what I've learned is that, you know, the act of cooking is both nourishing, but it also gives you um, movement in your day, like, like literally reaching, bending, lifting, um, scrubbing all these things. So when, you know, when you make a proper meal and, and she makes a proper meal three or four times a day, she's like constantly moving throughout the day. And we both know that movement is really, uh, not just important to us, but vital. Um, so, uh, so what is, she, there's a lady I really like, um, named Katie Bowman, who's sort of a movement specialist, but she talks about stacking your life. Um, and what that means is like, uh, can you get all these things um, just by going about your day? So like, can you get your food in the morning, which also gives you some movement, which also gets you outside, you know, so then you're getting food, water, air, space, like you're getting all these things in, in one singular act um, just by the way you go about doing it. So uh yeah, we, we sort of are always talking about those values and, um, and how to like arrange our life. So we're getting them more often and more of the time. That term stacking, I hadn't heard of, but it feels like a, a more effective end to what people try to do when they're multitasking, which has been shown not to be very effective at all, but to be able to be focused on one particular task, but but have a benefit or an impact on a few other things that maybe you're not paying as much attention to. So you're not actually trying to multitask. You're just focused on one thing, but you get these spinoff benefits of, um, of that. I think that's great. I, I learned, I learned something new just a second here. So with that idea of, of sort of the cooking in the, in the movement and the space, you made me think a little bit about something that's come across my proverbial plate, which is just the presence and the, the respect for your space. And it's particularly relevant when you are cooking, because obviously it's got to be clean. It's got to be organized. It's got to be, you've got to have your right tools and, and know how to use them. And it's, it's manage your time and all those other things. And, and I think it, it done well, obviously the product is delicious. And then it also, the whole experience of being in the kitchen and being in your home and being in your sense of place, I think is just totally amplified. And it's something that I did not, as someone who does like to cook, but has changed my approach to it 
to sort of make sure that those other parts of, of the experience are actually uh, in the cooking. And, and I pay attention to it a lot more than I used to. Oh yeah. I mean, dude, I'm like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go as far as like slob, but um, <laughs> I'm learning a lot in the ways of how um, your organization and, and just the act of, of taking care of your, your stuff, including yourself, um, how it's, it's the actual act of it that is, is really important, not the end result. So like, if you have a great meal, but you left a mess, like you, you might not, you might still be stressed basically. Whereas if you have a great meal and as a part of that meal, you've moved through like putting the dishes away and like, you know, keeping your, your scene tidy, especially because it's someone else's scene also. Um, then you've had a great meal and you're not, you're, you're not stressed. So you're like, that's how, that's how you do it properly. And, and to do it with, with a sense of joy and fun and lightheartedness and, and without the obligation or the frustration or the annoyance that it's like, when you switch that, that lens or that perspective, you can, you can see how all right, I've got my food on the stove. This is the perfect time to whip off these dishes, or this is the perfect time to, you know, uh, accomplish some other thing because I've, I've been tight and, and relaxed with this, with this project versus, you know, all the other thoughts or feelings that, that muck it all up for us. If we're not, if we're not conscious. Yeah, totally. And I don't want to sound like any sort of an expert because I'm, I'm always the one mucking it up, but, uh, it's, it's easy to take the example from what's right in front of you. So I'm, I'm saying that the person who does that well in our house is Amy and I am, you know, the, the student and she might think I'm like totally full of it for even saying that, like, yeah, you're not even close, but, um, I do pay attention to the way she does it and, and to how I'm doing it now. Perfect. We'll make sure she watches this episode. (laughs) And do you take the same approach with other parts of your life? Um, yes, I take the same approach with other parts of my life. Uh, here's a good example in, um, in terms of making a business out of filmmaking, um, you know, that's, that's a skill that I sort of had, um, and learned through school, um, and, and just a desire to do it. I mean, I know that because I did it before school. Um, I enjoy putting together movies um, and it's like a passion or a hobby or whatever you want to call it. I like doing it. Um, In order to turn that into a business, you know, you sacrifice some of that. Um, And that I'm okay with that because it's another way of of stacking. So one, I I needed to make more money to support myself and and my family. So I was like playing around with different ways of doing that. Um, I was like, well, if you want to make some money, it might take, it might help to do it with something you're skilled at. So check that box. Um, I like going outside and going on adventures. um, And I also don't have as much time as I used to have to do that. Um, but if I can include that as part of a business, then I'm both supporting myself and my family, like making a little bit of money, but I'm also going outside and going on an adventure, um, and doing something I like. So it might be a concentrated version of an adventure. Um, you know, maybe one day or, or two days actually working on it and then a lot more days on the computer, but I still got that time and it's still checked all these other boxes. So, uh, that's totally a way of, of stacking things. And it would be the same with like teaching skiing. I, I like going skiing um, and I like teaching. So the combination of them is, is a balance between, you know, I'm not necessarily skiing for myself, like uh, the way I would if I just went up to the resort or the back country and with my friends or solo and said, Oh, I'm just going to do whatever I want. Um, I'm doing it in service to someone, but I'm still going to make some turns, you know, I'm still going to get, a lot of joy out of that. Um, and I get joy from elsewhere too. Yeah. Keeping that, keeping the service, keeping the purpose. I think that that's a, it's a important thing for us all to remember is to be purposeful and to be purpose driven and not so much like that's the only thing one can focus on, but, but whenever you choose, you know, to, to kind of drive your life or to, to do things on purpose, inevitably, it ties into your values. Inevitably, it, I think it relates 
results in more happiness and more satisfaction, even if what used to be a week long adventure is now compressed into a half a day, uh, you get the same joy out of it. Yeah, totally. I think you, you get out of it. I used to think, um, like I, I've always thought this myself, like anytime I click into my skis, I've been happy. Um, and I think that, you know, I've re I used to click into my skis every single day, including in the summer and stuff. I was very fortunate. I like, Oh, I'm going to do this again. This is amazing. Um, and now it's still the same feeling. Um, but I just don't click in as often. So it's not like it's changed. Um, it's just that, uh, there's other things things I got to do also, but if I can take care of those things, then the purpose of clicking into my skis is still there. Like that is still just to have fun. Um, it, so, hasn't, yeah. it hasn't changed. You have. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> with, with filmmaking, you kind of touched a little bit, I think on, you know, maybe moving into some other areas other than just skiing. Uh, what are those with your films? Sure. Let me answer this a little bit differently because I'm totally interested in making films that aren't just about skiing. Uh, and in a lot of ways, I'm mostly interested in making films that aren't just about skiing. Um, I, I guess I say that because I have made purely ski entertainment films uh, or been a part of them, um, both behind the camera and in front of the camera, kind of like all around that whole scene. And, uh, and I enjoy watching those Um I mean, as a kid, that's like all I watched. Uh, and now I will, will watch it. Um, although I think there's a lot to be said for, um, what the medium of film is good for. Um, and I think it can be sort of entertaining. It can be like, um, I guess, just like extreme and sort of bring you into the moment. But what I think film is really good for is essentially communicating a thought. Um, and I think that because film is, is both visual and auditory. And as humans currently, we are super visual and super auditory. Um, so we go about our day looking around, we're taking in all this, this, um, uh, all these perceptions. And then also there's, there's just audio all around all the time. And we clue in some of it and some of it not, but there's always this atmosphere around you. Um, and then I think like, you know, when we daydream or when we have an idea, we do the same thing where we, we have this visual in our mind and then we can sort of feel the atmosphere around us. Um, so what film is doing is, is like putting an idea into your head the way you would experience it in real life. Maybe not all things coming together, you know, perfectly, but in the same way that a daydream isn't like the whole thing, it really has a lot of the essence of it um, and a lot of the feeling of it. So uh, film is cool because it expresses a thought, an idea, um, a vision, a feeling, um, and it does it pretty, pretty well. I think we know that because I mean, look at like Netflix, like people are into it. <laughs> so, uh, and then I was just going to say on the flip side, you know, you can, you can take it in a lot. And as a viewer, I love watching movies and being immersed in someone else's idea. Um, in, in making it, it's a whole different process. Cause it's, it's, it's a feeling, but you're constructing it. And, uh, and I, I just enjoy that process. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where I think I want to head with filmmaking is to really get better at um, honing in that process and, and basically communicating what I want to communicate uh, in a good way. What's the name of the film company? Uh, it's called Houseplant. Houseplant Creative LLC, I think is your real name. It's funny, you know, it's hard to actually get a name because there's a lot of names taken. Um, but this, this was my, my, uh, business partner, Gray's idea house plant, which I like. Did somebody steal daydream films? Well, we did, did. Yeah. I'm sure. Honestly, I guarantee anything with like daydream is taken. We wanted to do like secret mountain or something, you know, there's, we had like a bunch of ideas and it was like, you started going through the list and you're like, Oh my God, we'll take anything. That's like kind of cool. <laughs> I've been having the same experience 
finding a title for this podcast. There are a lot of people doing podcasts and a lot of people doing them the, before I started. <laughs> yep. That's fair. But I think it's also fair to just say like, as long as the name is close, it doesn't really matter. Like if it's good, the name will work. Um, you know, that it, you'd have to have a pretty bad actually. And if you had a really, really bad name, that would probably work too. Um, everything, everything works. If you stick your name at the ad, at the end of it, excuse me, everything yeah. works if you stick your name at the end of it. Yeah, totally. Or I learned that some companies, you know, there's a lot of musicians and companies out there that are devalued. Like there's no vowels in, in, in there. That's another way to work around it. Like it's, it's the same word, but it's a completely different word because you've devalued it. And so the like copyright on it is probably cool, even though it's the same, same work. <laughs> I've learned a second thing on this chat, Max. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Devoweling and stacking. Yeah. <laughs> so you have. Hey, talked- hold on a second here. Hey, Bob. Yeah. Hey, Bob, come poke your head in here really quick before I send you off. Hey, you might as well just meet Bob here. Yeah, actually, this is a perfect segue because I was going to ask you about. Yeah. Here, our... just come in here and say say hello. Oh. Look at the screen though. <laughs> hello. Right in the middle. How you there doing, you Bob? Hi. How's your day? Here. How's your day? Oh, good. Good. <laughs> Good. Awesome. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm good. I appreciate you jumping on our uh, on our podcast today. Hey, I'm bothering you about that thing. Oh uh, yeah. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. What's All right. The... Here, say say goodbye, and I'm gonna have you run okay. into the living room. Okay. Room. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you want to go read a magazine or something? Hey, David. Okay. <laughs> awesome. See you, Bob. Uh, so that was going to be my my next thing I wanted to bring up with you is when we chatted last, you talked a little bit about a movie that starred Bob or that was about Bob. So maybe you could touch on a little bit of what that's all about. Yeah, we're making a movie. Of, it's about Bob and for Bob, um, whose real name is Andrew. But um, that's all part of the story. Um, he named himself Bob and we're going with it. Um the movie is called Ducky Goes Up, and it's been a long time in the making. Um, actually, kind of too long, but that's just the way it is. Um, it was both uh, an idea of intrigue um, because of the premise of it, but uh, and now it's now it's become more than that. It's sort of a an idea that's for for a community um, and and other people with Down syndrome. Uh, so the movie is about how he climbed the Grand Teton. Um, which is a big rock climb in, in the middle of Wyoming. Um, that's where I'm from. And uh, that's actually where Amy and I, uh, I wouldn't say fell in love, but it's one of the places that we realized we completely loved each other when we climbed it together, um, both for the first time. And we always had this ongoing joke of like, yeah, I wonder if Bob could could do it. Because he, he does climb a little bit and he's actually quite fit. Um and so we always kind of joked around about like, could you imagine if he was up here with us? Like, and then in the back of our heads, it was also like, yeah, I bet he, act, he maybe probably could, but we never went through with it. And then a few years later we were, um, Amy and I were planning on getting married and we knew we were going to get married in Jackson. And we, and we just said like, all right, we're planning this trip out there. We know we're going to be there for a little bit of time to like set up the wedding and stuff. Like, let's do it. Like, let's go up there with Bob and and see what happens. And, uh, so we did, and it ended up working out and it wasn't easy, but we, we did get to the top and then even better, we got back to the bottom and, uh, had this incredibly wild adventure with him that he certainly does not want to do again, but we'll never forget. Um, and I just had the instinct that it was going to be cool. So we had, um, a few friends who are proficient with cameras come with us, um, and without really any idea of like what to do with the footage or like an idea beyond like, let's just capture this and then see what happens. Um, so that is what happened. It was sort of like a newsworthy event at the time. And, and some of the footage got used for that because it's just cool to say like, 
what we we think he's we assume and think he's the first person with down syndrome to climb to the top of the grand teton so that was kind of like the headline like first person with down syndrome climbs to the top of down syndrome. and 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 it was cool um years later we we still had the footage and um i've been slowly putting together like okay what would it what would a movie look like that included that would it be a climbing movie that climbers think is inspirational or is it more than that? Um, and so slowly we, I just worked to refine an idea and a vision for it. And then we started filming and then we also did a fundraiser, a Kickstarter fundraiser, which was sort of gave us the ability to, to, to spend a lot more time and energy on it because we were, you know, funded to do that. Um, and so we've we've spent the last I guess couple of years really making this movie in between our all of our other work as our as our passion project and and it's really close now. We were slated to play it in front of people this June, um, so that was like our deadline. And I love a deadline because it means I'll 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 finish it. And it's when those in person screenings got you know shoved out of the way because of COVID and, and rightfully so, um, we lost our deadline. So we've, we're still working on it and, um, we're using that time to make it better and better. Um, and we're trying to give ourselves a new deadline so that we can show it to people. Awesome. And reflecting back on it, it obviously had highs, it had lows, it had never agains few without giving up any of the plot what would you say was maybe the highest of the high and one of the lows that surprised you uh in looking back and going oh i did not anticipate that well the highest of the high let's if we're are you talking about the the climb itself or this whole sort of longer process of making the movie let's go with the climb itself Okay. The, the climb itself is easy for the high. I mean, the, the literal, the actual summit was like psycho emotional. Um, yeah, I'll just say I've never seen like someone's emotions literally shooting out of their head. Um, and that's what I felt like we got from Andrew, um, Bob, <laughs> when we, we sort of just kept walking and walking on this what I assume is like one of the longest days of his life. Um, and uh, there's like vertical rock climbing that's that's pretty intense. You're on a rope. Um, he had a few slips um, at some pretty, pretty. Uh, basically, he, sl he slipped at the wrong time <laughs> and he was on a rope. But like when you're hanging on and what you see below you is like the ground thousands of feet below. I don't think it's any less intense if you're on a rope or not. Uh, anyways, as you make your way to the top, it becomes less vertical. And then you're sort of just like walking through this giant rock field again. And, um, but I think he was like kind of head down, like, I'm just, I'm still walking uphill. And then all of a sudden there's nowhere else to walk because he made it to the top. Um, and at that point he kind of like looked around and was realized he was at, at the very top. And you, you look down, you see the Valley of Idaho on one side and the Valley in Jackson and Wyoming on the other side. And you're just like, oh my God. I mean, you can see the parking lot down below you, um, 7,000 feet below you and think to yourself like, how the hell did I get up here? <laughs> um, and I think that his way of saying like, how the hell did I get up here was just this like total happiness just spewing out of his, out of his head, out of his ears, out of his eyes, out of his smile. Um, yeah, everything about it was amazing. And then we realized it's like 5.30 p.m., and we got to get, we got to get off the mountain. So we tried to like wrap it up, um, pretty quick, but also really enjoy that moment. The, the lowest of the lows, um, there are some difficult part. I, I don't know about lows. Um, it's hard to say lows because even when I think about a low, it kind of adds to the whole experience, but I'll tell you some difficult parts. Like one, you have to, there's a lot of traffic on that mountain, a lot of people. And so they're, um, they're careful with the regulations about what you do with your trash, including your own human trash. Um, so we had, we had some fun, like pooping into bags and, uh, and Bob and I really like bonded over that. Uh, <laughs> Um, that was like the hardest part. 
couple, basically a couple, um, couple of times where we had to bust out the bag and, uh, and get to know each other a little bit better. I mean, Bob and I are like, we were tight before that, but we're like, we're really tight now. <laughs> Inseparable. Yeah. Yep. Inseparable. Fantastic. Well, I look forward to getting a chance to view it when it is finally complete and, and maybe we'll even get to be face to face in a large group setting by that time. Well, that's the biggest thing, right? Is like this movie's for Bob and, and really the, the goal is for him to be in front of as many people as possible. Like he's a total ham. Like you put him up in front of a crowd um, and he loves it. Like just absolutely loves it. So, you know, like an internet viewing is, is cool, but for Bob, it's like, it's not, it's not the thing. So it won't uh, do that. Won't yeah. So, for Bob. No, no. Like, I think that what we want to do with the internet in terms of this film is like have it available to people. Right. But, um, in our number one goal being like, this is a project for Bob. Like he needs, to, he needs to be literally right in front of as many people as possible while they're cheering him on. Um, so we'll have to figure out how to do that creatively. Looking forward to it. So when we also had a uh, chat a little bit ago, you mentioned a building project in the back of your house. And at the time, I think you had said it's either going to turn out to be amazing or it may not even be upright. Uh, where, where is it at the moment? Yeah. So when we, I, there was a, maybe a couple of weeks at the start of COVID where I was like, we lost a bunch of video work and I was like, Oh my God, I was starting to get a little like pretty bummed. Um, and trying to figure out what we, what we were going to do for money and, and like managing our stress, all that stuff that probably everyone's gone through. Um, and, uh, Amy of course was like, yeah, well, why don't you just do something about it? <laughs> um, in particular, she's like, are you, what, are you worried about money to like put food on the table? Like, why don't you make more garden beds and we can grow food and put it on the table? <laughs> And, uh, in my sort of slump, I realized of course that she's right. And, um, that, you know, certainly action is like, is at least something you can control yourself and something you can do. So the first thing we built was just a greenhouse. Um, so we could have more starts and be a little bit more organized and, and, and in building this greenhouse is pretty small. It's like six by eight or something like that. Um, and it's mostly like just materials that I already had around. Uh, I kind of got the bug to build more, build more things. I think it's cool. Um, I like designing it and then actually putting it to use, um, going through the whole process and it was right in my yard. So, you know, as far as work goes, it's pretty easy to, uh, step outside and our son Holden could, would like help, um, uh, he was a fairly good helper. Um, but he could be right there. I could be with him and still be like getting something done. So, uh, after the greenhouse, we realized as we were working from home that, um, it's really hard to work from home. Um, but it's also completely mandatory. And, uh, we were having a hard time managing like our time between being available and supportive, but also being able to like remove ourselves and get work done. So we thought we need to build a separate room, where we can go do work and that it's clear because it's completely delineated. Like, like when I'm in there, I'll be here from this time to this time, I'm going to be working. Like, I'm not going to hear you in the house. Um, I'm not going to change that diaper <laughs> because I can hear you. And because I would do that and do do that when I am in the house. And if, and if Amy wants to work, she's a writer um, and doesn't want to hear uh, us. <laughs> <laughs> she could have that option. So we built what we call a studio, but it's sort of just like an offshoot of our house. It's a room um, without really any amenities. Um, and it's almost done. And uh, we just saw it as a creative project. Like Amy, what, what do you want out of this? And um, as you may be gathered in, in terms of her food, like she's a real purist. So um, as far as materials and look and design, she had her ideas and I had mine and we came together and sort of spitballed them and then started just right from scratch on paper. Like, what do we want this thing to look like? What, what kind of materials do we want to use? What, what do we want it to feel like? Um, so it turned more, I mean, we could have just got a shed, you know, and just worked in the shed. Um, but we thought it was a, a cool opportunity to, 
to build something unique. Uh, and I think that's what we've, we've done. Of course, um, you know, I mostly just YouTube everything and I have a few friends who are really good at this stuff. Uh, so it's been a complete learning process, um, and a really cool one. And what it, do you want to know some of the interesting stuff? Well, that's all super interesting. So anything else you wanted to add, but I, I think, you know, what, what originally perked me up was you're complete at the moment, like, will it stand, will it fall? Mm. And, and were the things that I put as sort of must haves around, you know, the way this thing heats, the way this thing is built and, and all the requirements you guys purposely uh, put on this project, how did it all wind up? Because I think when you talked to me last, there was no Tyvek, it was passively solar. And so how is it ending? Yeah, so our goals were to have sort of like, my, my number one goal was to have a, a house that breathes. Um, and uh, in, in part of Amy's writing, she's been dealing a lot with um, all, the, all the toxic stuff that's in our world, like all around us. Things we can't help, but they're coming, literally coming through our walls, um, which led to the re revelation that like, oh yeah, it's actually coming from our walls. It's uh, the insulation that we use and the paint we use and, um, and the wood we use even, and, and all these treatments and, and uh and those are in service of, of making things affordable and, and making things that last long, but there's drawbacks. And a lot of that drawback is, is like leaching into our bodies, uh, and, and not such great ways. So, um, so we, we set out to build something where we're in the room and the wind's coming through it and we're breathing it, um, that we're, we're aware of what is coming into our lungs essentially. Um, and so, yeah, things like trying not to have too many toxic glues and paints and, um, Tyvek, like you said, uh, and just other, other plastics, which, which it's not like I have a, a huge beef with those things. I, I understand why they exist. Um, but we just wanted to see if we could do it without them. Um, and what's hilarious is you go on to like building forums and stuff. And if, if you just type in the search, like, can I build without plywood it's like you're just you're laughed off the face of the internet <laughs> and then so and then i started thinking like well i mean has plywood been around for that long geez like what just what did they do before like what did they do with timber framing like what did they do for their exterior siding and stuff and so you can find some of that information and what's funny is there is you'll get these quotes that are like oh yeah i mean i that building's lasted like over 300 years or or in some cases even longer like these beautiful temples that don't have any of that stuff and then I'm thinking like, well, and then, but now we have to use Tyvek just as an example. Um, and if you don't use it, you're like totally laughed off the planet, but Tyvek's only been around for what, 50 years or something. I don't know. It gets even better too, because then I, so I'm telling my, my buddy about this, who's an engineer and a, a do it all guy who's really helped me like almost every day with this project. And, uh, I'm like, yeah, I think I'm not going to use plywood. I, and I'm kind of giving him the whole story. Like, I just don't want those glues and the laminates. And, and I want to see if we can do it kind of the way, some hybrid way and without it falling over. And he was saying like, yeah, actually, you know, the, the idea of plywood isn't, it's not new. It's been around for like hundreds of years, just in different forms. And people have been laminating things together, but they use different laminates and all this stuff. So anyways, it's funny because I think like, this isn't necessarily like I'm, I'm going eco here. It's just like, I'm going to learn and uh, try something different and see what happens. And uh, so, yeah, that's where we're at. And, and some things I, I couldn't get away with in my mind, like the durability of the tile floor um, required that I use, like uh, I, I, wa I ended up using a plastic underlayment underneath so that uh, the tiles wouldn't get totally screwed. Um, and, and pitched out of whack when, when the rest of the building freezes and thaws and moves and shifts. And then the tiles do that, um, on a different level. So yeah, it, it, it was really, it was set out with intention and then we made some sacrifices, but not a ton. And, uh, that's where it's at. It's still up. <laughs> It's awesome. still standing. And I think it's going to be totally fine. The passive solar was another good example of that. I just, again, like hit the interwebs and we're like, okay, how do you design for 
passive solar and it turns out it's incredibly easy. Like you take a few measurements, you base them off of your uh, latitude and, uh, or I, I suppose, I think you base off your longitude um, and just, and like plug it in and like work on some graph paper. I had to find a protractor that was like the hardest it was, which is, was kind of hard to just find a good protractor these days. Um, and, uh, and then you like build it and then hope it works. And what's cool is I started building it in June. So, uh, right around the time when the, when the sun's at its highest. So in a way I was like, okay, I know how the shading's going to work. And then I'm finishing it right now in December, which is kind of a long time to finish a small room, but, um, maybe a short time if you have two kids. And, uh, now I'm seeing where the sun's hitting in the winter and, uh, yeah, it pretty much totally, totally worked. We got sun coming through the window in the winter and then it's shaded in the summer and it's as simple as like how big is your overhang and how high up is your window in 300 years from now that thing is still going to be standing <laughs> selfishly, <laughs> selfishly speaking as a man who's been on the house hunt for the last year or so i have definitely toggled between do i look for a house that has a designated room that i can turn into my office or a smaller house, which kind of feels right to me with creating something like you guys have built where I could have a designated spot to get a little more privacy, etc. If you were to do this over again, would you still have made the same decision to, to build this building? Oh uh, yeah, totally. Uh, but it's costed way more than I wanted it to, which is true of every building project, but, um, part of that is just because, uh, since COVID like building anything has skyrocketed because tons of people are doing it. I think everyone thought, okay, it's going to shut down, but I'm just going to do it anyways. And I think because everyone thought that they're like, well, now's I'm not doing anything else. Like either now's the time to buy a house or build a house or remodel your house. Uh, but like wood prices are like, have steadily increased so much. <laughs> I ran out of wood and had to go back for more, you know, and I'm like, Oh my God, it's, it's even more again. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That that's a, probably a whole nother podcast, but just, just the craziness of, of which folks and which industries have just imploded due to this pandemic and which have gone bigger than they could have ever possibly imagined and almost overnight. And just, yeah, the, the agility required to pivot that fast is, uh, is, I mean, nothing I've ever seen in 44 years, but, uh, but I'm glad you're getting this thing built. And uh, when, when are you going to cut the ribbon? Uh, <laughs> well, the floor is tiled, grouted, all, all stuff that I just learned and just did. The, sec the second building is going to be really nice. The first building is nice, but of course, it's like the learning building. So this, the second one is going to be really nice. Oh, there's another one in the works. No, but that's just always the case when you build something of your own. It's like, I'm going to build this. I'm going to learn about it. I'm going to mess up because that's how you learn about it. And then if you were to do it again, it's like, you know, the tricks. Um, so uh, we're about ready to, uh, to, get it, um, to get it going. It, it's twofold. I want to put solar on it and run it to a battery. So it's sort of like just this little sufficient room. Um, in the meantime, we're just going to run an extension cord out to it. But um, we're, we're, uh, we can move in. We're ready. Perfect. And Bob's going to need a spot to answer fan mail. So <laughs> you might be building that second one sooner than later. I see. We're going to give him his own like luxury studio. <laughs> Fantastic. So in terms of what's up for you in the next year, anything that you've got in the pipeline that we might not know about any secrets you feel like sharing, whether it's fun, passion projects, play work projects, things you're, uh, things you're going to advocate for or against. Um, well, personally, I'm trying to force my kids to like skiing so that I can go skiing with them. Um, so we'll see how that goes. I, I tricked them into like an escape park. So we get to go skateboarding. Um, together, which means that I get to go skateboarding. It's, you know, it's a fine line with your kids. Like 
obviously I, I want to keep doing this stuff and I want you to like it, but if you force a kid to do anything, like they're probably going to hate it. So, uh, it, you know, there's a lot of creativity in terms of, of, uh, getting someone to, to like something that you like. <laughs> I did the same with my now four-year-old. So last winter I taught her to ski and, uh, I don't have much of a sweet tooth, but last October I bought one of those massive bags of candy from Costco, actually, you know, whether you love Costco or you think it's the bane of the existence, it is a score. If you want to buy a six pound bag of candy and, uh, lining my, my ski coat with all the little gummy bears and the Swedish fish and the whole thing. And she kind of took to skiing, thank God, like I hope she would, but a pocket full of gummy bears, I think had something to do with it too. Um, I completely support that. And, uh, I think my wife, Amy would say the same thing. Like she actually, she started skiing, uh, later in her life. She's an amazing skier. That's how we met. We met skiing. Um, and, uh, she would say like when she was a kid, I mean, it's, it wasn't about skiing. It was about her pocket snacks, which were totally gummy bears and M&Ms and stuff. And, and I mean, if she thought about those snacks now compared to her pocket snacks, like today, obviously the, the actual form of them is completely different, but it's still, it's still a snack. Like when, when we go ski touring, she's thinking about her snack, what she's going to bring, but also what she's going to make later. Um, to her, a, a good day of ski touring is nothing without the meal afterwards and the meal during. So it's not like that goes away. And also Holden doesn't go to the skate park with snack. <laughs> so you're, you're slowly convincing your children to, following your footsteps for fun and play. What else, what else is on your horizon for the next year? Um, what else on the horizon? I, I'm happy to say that our video business is sort of like coming back up into play, which is nice. Uh, it's interesting because I think a lot, you know, we do a lot of like commercial work and a lot of companies lost a lot of money, um, and resources and which meant that, that, that we did too. Um, I think what people are finding is that in this digital world where, I mean, look at us currently, like we're talking through the digital world and, and that's where people are advertising and selling and um, finding that video is like, they, they maybe don't have the same resources for it, but they need it more than ever. So the balance between our work and their work is like starting to sort itself out. Um, so that's nice. I'm hoping to go skiing. I always want to do something cool with my skiing every year, like work towards a goal. Um, I always want to go like winter camping and ski something crazy. Um, I don't have too many concrete goals with skiing. Cause I think it's a little bit unsafe. Um, as far as like, I want to ski this line or, you know, then I think what happens is you push it. Um, and skiing is just terrifying because of avalanches and it's one thing to push yourself and your technique and stuff. And I have separate goals for that, but, um, they're, they're not directly tied to like skiing specific mountains or, um, or runs because I just find that to be totally dangerous. Um, but I do want to ski something cool. So I'd leave it as broad as that. Like I'm going to ski something crazy, but I don't know what yet. And I want to make sure it's as safe as possible. Um, <laughs> I think, Wise words for sure. And, and it's always smart to be smart in the backcountry, and, and even more important this year with just the impact on, on hospitals and on the amazing men and women who've been on those front lines and don't really need extra folks in there um, mucking up the works uh, if we can avoid showing up on their doorstep. Being, maybe I'll, I'll kind of leave us with this, you know, being a man who touches all different sides of, a, of the world of work, whether it's pro skiing or guiding or making films or building things, you kind of fall underneath this umbrella of, of an entrepreneur. And, and what would you say two parts would be the, the biggest joy of being the captain of your own sort of existence. And then what's the biggest stress? The biggest joy in being the captain of your own existence is if you like being in charge, then you get to do that. Um, I'm not always in charge at home. Amy is, but in terms of my other stuff, I'm, I like being in charge. And uh, that's, that's probably the, the duality right there is like, I think it's good to both um, take a back seat and, and respond and sort of like follow someone's lead. And I think it's, for me, it's also nice to lead. 
um, and figure out sort of the best way to do that. So kind of at home, I, I am led. And then in my work life, um, I try to be the leader um, in terms of making decisions. And, and, and that's just worked out great for me. It makes, makes it possible to set my own schedule, which means I get a lot of time with Amy and my kids and a lot of time outside. And sometimes I get really concentrated time away from them and, and that's tough, but it's just concentrated time away from them versus like being away every single day. Um, and so, yeah, we just have chosen that and it, and it works for us. I think she would probably say the same thing in her work. Um, she could work in a hospital, but she's chosen to write about the same things that she works on in the hospital. So she gets to write about them um, on her, on her own time and, and really see them to wherever she wants to see them. And she probably misses being with people and, and her team and, um, sort of like her comrades. Um, and that's one of the things that I miss too, is, uh, like, you know, when I, when I coach for a ski club, it's great because I show up and I see these coaches and these kids that I like, you know, like every day. And, and I love that. So that, that's some of the things I, that I think I'm missing are just like contact with people um, working on things together. Um, and I still get that, but it's just a lot more concentrated. Um, I'm trying to think some of the lows of being an entrepreneur, like it doesn't always work for sure. (laughs) Um, you know, I like my income, for example, spread about all these, these different places and it's enough, it's enough. Um, and if I need more, I'll work more. And if, uh, I want to play more, I have that ability, Um, but one of the things that's really hard is like our, our current system of living in America is it's really tough not to work for an established company that gives you benefits and especially health insurance. Um, and that's, that's such a horrible thing to be like, I'm on this podcast and I'm telling you the lowest of the lowest, like I got to pay for health insurance. And it totally is like the most stressful thing in my life is health insurance. And just for me personally, I, I have something going on that I need health insurance for. I have uh, an autoimmune disease or disorder, whatever they're calling it. Now I have rheumatoid arthritis. I've had it since I was 14. And, um, so far I haven't found a way to manage it without, one particular medicine and the medicine is expensive and it means I need a a particular insurance that covers it. And like, I bring some money in that's for my family and for myself. And then the, like a huge chunk of it just goes right out the window, um, into this insurance company's pocket, which is fine. Like I I'm not against it, but like, man, it is, I, I certainly wish it was different. (laughs) Yes, uh, across across all points, and uh, I think as another self-employed person, it is nauseating every month to to watch uh, a large amount go right to them. And and I don't even I don't have you know a, a need for an expensive medication, and you know often I'm not in the doctor's office or in the hospital, but you know, unfortunately last year I blew my ACL and watching the bills roll in and watching, you know, timing when I was going to get the surgery so that I could make sure that I had most of the year to, you know, utilize the benefits I was going to, you know, um, pay out for, et cetera. So it's, yeah, it's a, it's a balance between, you know, obviously being in control of everything. And then unfortunately having to be in control of things that, ideally someone else could be supporting if our systems were a little bit more uh, people friendly. So not that you have, this is a a problem and a puzzle for so many more people than us to solve, but I don't know if you have any ideas about what you would do about it. If you could wave your magic max wand around, what would you do about that? I think this is a good example of like, even broader things. I mean, not that they're more broad than like our current medical system, but um, I think about climate change. I think about our medical system. I think about, I think about, I guess just what feels like injustices that are like so entrenched that, you know, it doesn't feel like they're ever going to change. Man. I mean, if I could, if I could wave my wand, I would just, I would find the experts who are, who have figured it out, which it seems like those people are out there come up with just a version of the very best plan. 
and like just put it in place. And then if people want to hate me, that's okay. <laughs> if they don't, that's okay. Um, but like that almost sounds like tyrannical, but it's just like some, some of the stuff seems bad, like pretty objectively. And maybe we can just change that. I think that that's a governmental thing. And, um, I don't, I don't think that our government is very good at changing things. Um, and so I guess one of the things I would change is our, the way our government works. Um, yeah. And just to, just to probe a little bit is when you were saying, put the best plan forward, did you mean, you know, like a restructuring of the way that government and, and insurance work either together or separately so that we, as the user get a better, a better product, similar to maybe how Canada or another country who's got a different model is able to support their citizens. Is that you're going for, or did, did you mean something else? I think that's more or less what I meant. Um, I was listening to some interesting folks who basically pointed out that like in, in the States, and when you're talking about actual health insurance, we, we actually have the option of almost every type of health insurance. We, we have things that are similar to Canada. We have things that are similar to, to Europe and, and elsewhere. We have things that are similar to like, you know, um, almost like socialist places or communist places. We, we sort of have everything. And then we have the private market too. And one of the problems is that we have so many of those options and it's like, it's confusing and it's hard. And like probably none of them are, are all that optimized because there there's so many different versions. And then there's, there's there, I think there's another problem and that's that, you know, we're, we're definitely profit driven and where we've decided that profits are going to come from. doesn't always mean like, care, it might mean like drug development and that drug development might not be, might not get you all that great of a drug, um, or it might not be a, a very popular drug. I don't know. It, it, I think it's, it's incredibly complex. And that's why I said, I, I wouldn't do anything personally. I would like a team together. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I guess I could, I could think of it a, a few different ways, like, but one way might be to use my disease as an example. So I have rheumatoid arthritis. I've had it since I was 14. Um, rheumatoid arthritis is, uh, a disease where my immune system is, is reacting to something inside of my body, um, and, and basically constantly attacking my body. Um, it's like an accidental immune system response. Um, typically the immune system would, would be, or, or your, your body system in general would, would say like, here's something that I think is a problem. Here's something that I don't think is a problem. And if it's a problem, we're going to like, we're going to deal with it. And it's very good at it. Um, th using things like inflammation, um, what's happening in my body is that, um, it's mistaking something constantly as a threat. And so it's constantly producing inflammation in, in particular joints. Um, it makes it really hard to like, one of my wrists doesn't really move. Some of my, my fingers are really fat. I got like a few problems that make it really hard to live sometimes. And, and sometimes like extremely hard, um, to the point where like getting out of bed or even staying asleep is like, it's not going to happen. We're picking up my kid is not going to, not going to happen. Or, or I have to do this weird, like hook hand anyways. Um, and those are problems just that suck. And and that's not to say like that I can go skiing on those days. It's like, I'm not getting out of, out of bed on those days or I like, I'm not helping around the house. Um, the point I, but I wanted to get at is, um, you know, like the medicine I take is symptomatic um, and it works. And so for right now that that's fine because it relieves those symptoms, but it's doing nothing to the cause. Like it's, it's not actually, stopping whatever my immune system is doing from confusing something that's proper or improper. Like the, the mix up at the, the base of the issue is still totally there. But um, the result is that this drug comes in later and is like, Oh no, like it's not the, the cause thing, but like, we're going to, we're going to stop the inflammation. Um, and that lets me go on and keep living, but like the cause is still totally there and it's, still creeps up. And, um, so I guess what I, what I would say in terms of making changes is we need to make changes that are, that are causal and not symptomatic. So if, if you have hit problems with the, with the health insurance system, you know, it might not, chances are, it's not just health insurance. It's like the whole health system. Um, you know, like my understanding is that we, we waste a ton of money treating things that are symptomatic 
um, because we have poor education system or because um, like early childcare is unavailable for people who don't make a certain amount of money. And because of that, um, they're stuck with a certain food or, or um, you know, they live in a food desert or it's like so much more complicated than just insurance. Um, but insurance is part of the problem. So, uh, you know, I, th I think that what I would prefer to see is just is huge, complex, like systematic changes to how we live. And I would base them on food, water, movement, space, shelter, um, and making those things available. Uh, I would do that because it's pretty easy to make a decision when it's, when it's based on something like, oh, is this, does this health insurance going to make it possible for people to like enjoy movement? You know, that that's like an easy, or that's maybe a horrible example, but like the, the food one's easier. Like, um, if we can provide this food for people, is it going to help them, you know, be happy? And if the answer is like, actually that food is horrible for those people and it's going to slowly kill them. Maybe we shouldn't even make that an option. Um, because right now the question is, can they afford this or not? Um, and it doesn't really, it's like the, the question is about, can you afford it? Is it cheap enough versus like, is this going to make you happy and, and satisfied with your life or is this going to slowly kill you? You said something that I think is so pivotally important and, and, and also a great way, I think, to wrap us up, which is the decisions become very clear when they're tied to values. Mm -hmm. So, so when you're lost, when you're confused, when you're um, unsure of what the right path is circling back to those foundational values makes, it makes the path very clear. And sometimes it's worth reinvestigating and going and looking at, are we asking the wrong question? Are we trying to force something that just doesn't even fit with where, where our thinking lies or what we really believe in? And, you know, not to minimize all of what you just said about your experience with rheumatoid arthritis and, and the struggles, because I appreciate the vulnerability and the insight. I, I, I did not know that about you when I, when I met you, and I'm, I'm not sure that everybody knows that either, you, you know, living the pro athlete lifestyle, it, it has this, as an outsider, this certain appeal and, and facade to it. And I appreciate you coming on today and, and showing all the different aspects of you and how you've shifted and grown and how you've designed a life and partnered up and, you know, through it all continue to, to make, your ship uh, go the direction that, that you and your family uh, most want it to go. So I really appreciate your time today. And uh, I hope that 2020 brings you and the family all that you wish for and looking forward to seeing Bob on the big screen. Yeah. Bob on the big screen, man. Or yeah, maybe it'll be in a, uh, what, what are they called? Where you drive in with your car? Um, drive -in. A drive-in. A <laughs> drive-in. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, now we're asking people to drive more. Great. <laughs> this is complex stuff. Bob's worth it though. I think Bob is, is totally worth it. Yeah. I, I think that, and, and Amy would probably say it a different way. She's like, I don't want to be any sort of a star, but I want Bob to be like every sort of a star. <laughs> maybe there's a, maybe your next project is some sort of echo friendly Bob transport vehicle where we can, he can drop in uh, to each of the showings uh, out of the, out of the sky. There you go. That could be it. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thanks, Max. I appreciate your time and uh, all the best. Yeah. Thanks. The Trailbreaker podcast is created by Aaron Feinberg with production support provided by Michael Morey. More interviews and videos can be found at AaronFeinberg.com.